Good morning, everybody. As Pastor Erica noted, you can pick up on the theme for the morning about the holiness of God. And if you look in your, um, if you look in your uh, hymnals, you'll probably be able to see how many times holy comes up on those hymnals and on the screen. It's a lot. Our second scripture reading today comes to us from the Old Testament prophet Isaiah, chapter 6, verses 1 to 8. So listen for God's word to you today. In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord sitting on a throne, high and lofty, and the hem of his robe filled the temple. Seraphs were in attendance above him. Each had six wings. With two, they covered their faces. With two, they covered their feet. And with two, they flew. And one called to another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. The pivots on the thresholds shook at the voices of those who called, and the house filled with smoke. And I said, Woe is me, I am lost, for I am a man of unclean lips, and I live among a people of unclean lips, yet my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. Then one of the seraphs flew to me, holding a live coal that had been taken from the altar with a pair of tongs. The seraph touched my mouth with it and said, now that, this, now that this has touched your lips, your guilt has departed and your sin is blotted out. Then I heard the voice of the Lord saying, whom shall I send and who will go for us? And I said, here am I, send me. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Isn't that a great passage? Makes you kind of want to get up and go. Here am I, send me this famous um, uh, call story or narrative from the prophet Isaiah. I want to talk about that uh, story with you today. Uh, but first, let me just say hi once again and welcome to those at home uh, on wor- worshiping with us online uh, or listening to our sermon podcast later in the week. So it's a Martin Luther King Jr. holiday weekend, and we are celebrating in different ways and lifting up the legacy of Dr. King as well. We were coming out of the sanctuary uh, last week on Epiphany after we gave out those star words, words that were going to guide our year, and people were sharing about the words that they got. I know many of you got a star word last year. I heard uh, people uh, sharing words like passion and confidence, learning, overflow, inviting, dance, reflect. And one person um, came out afterwards and said, the word I got was power. And somebody overheard them and said, I didn't know power was available. I got humility. Come on. I I wanted that one. Today we're starting a three-week little mini sermon series that's based around this one passage of Scripture from Isaiah chapter 6. We're going to read this same passage for three weeks in a row. By the end, as I told the choir today, you'll be sick of it, but you'll also know it really well. Isaiah chapter 6, verses 1 to 8. Sometimes this is known as the call story of the prophet. But one thing that I notice, and and maybe we can notice together as we read from Isaiah chapter 6, is that it's not Isaiah chapter 1. Usually, the call narrative of a prophet in the Old Testament tradition is at the beginning of the story. The prophet is called, and then they go and serve. But this one comes in chapter 6. And so some biblical scholars have said maybe this isn't the first calling that this prophet, this person, has received. Maybe this is a story about a person who has had a sense of God in their life 
before. Maybe they tried to follow the way of the Lord in the past. But the truth is, and this might sound familiar to you in your own way, the truth is that this person hasn't always lived up to their high calling. They haven't always been their best self. So maybe Isaiah chapter 6, which we just read, isn't the call of Isaiah. It's the renewal of the call. It's a chance to start over again with God. It's a chance to come into God's presence, to be forgiven and set free from sin or shame, to hear God's word and to do God's will in a new way, not like it used to be, but just for today and the days to come. So I'm saying all of this partially because Isaiah chapter 6 is a model for us, a template, a form that we build and, and, and use or set up our Sunday morning worship around. Let me give you a little mini worship 101 on this, just to see what we do on Sundays and how it relates to this passage. Think about the story. Isaiah enters the temple. He comes into this worship space, and God is at the center, and he hears these divine creatures that are like flying around, and they are calling out, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. And we begin our worship by coming into God's house, into our sanctuary. And we come forward and we're called into worship. And we sing our opening hymn, maybe like the one we sang today. What was it called? Holy, 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 Lord God Almighty. In worship, we encounter the holiness of God. This word is repeated in the story three times. Holy, 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 in triplicate. It's meant to emphasize the point. The word holy in Hebrew is kadosh, and it means to be set apart, to be completely different, to be other. So the word holy does not mean goody-goody, right? But it means totally different, set apart from everything else. So that's why there's ground, and then there's holy ground, right? There's communion, and then there's holy communion. There's guacamole, and there's... Holy guacamole. Sounds delicious. So this scene from the Bible takes place in the year that King Uzziah died, right? That's how it starts. Probably about the year 742, okay? This is uh, BCE, so a long time ago. And this was a time of transition because when the, the old king, King Uzziah, had died, and he had ruled for decades, and he had brought a lot of stability and, um, and security to Judah, which was the southern kingdom of ancient Israel. Ancient Israel had two parts. The north was called Israel, the south was called Judah, and he was a king there. And in Bible times, the life of the ruler and how he was doing related directly to the lives of the people and how they were doing. You know, it's kind of like in the house, sometimes people have this old saying, if mama ain't happy, ain't nobody happy. You ever heard that before? If mama ain't happy, ain't nobody happy. If the king is not doing well, nobody's doing well. If the king is flourishing, the whole nation can flourish. That's the model of the ancient kingdom of Israel. So if the king was um, good, uh, everything was good. If the king was corrupt or wicked or cruel or foolish, then the lives of the people would parallel that experience. So human kings and leaders are often this way. I wonder if you remember the, uh, the, seri the book and then the movie, um, the, the trilogy, Lord of the Rings, from J.R. Tolkien. Have you seen that? Read that? Yeah. Um, this is the, in, it, within this story, this Lord of the Rings story, there's a king named uh, Theoden of Rohan. And he's seen as a good and wise king. 
But along the way, he gets this advisor who's kind of like a soothsayer, um, who, whose name is Grima Wormtongue. And looking back on it, just the name, Wormtongue, it's kind of a giveaway. This might be a bad guy. Should you listen to a, an advisor named Wormtongue? Maybe not. Um, but he gets in with the king, and he influences him to make bad decisions. He sort of whispers in his ear and almost puts him under a spell. And so the king, then, lacks empathy for his people. He loses sight of the right things to do. And this is the way of human kings, or those who rule or sit on a throne. I suspect that none of us here today would really want to live under an absolute monarchy, that kind of absolute power. It kind of worries us. We, we want limited government. We don't want this overarching power of a singular figure, the way human kings and rulers have been. So in the Bible, King Uzziah is seen as a, as a good king, but along the way, he does some things wrong, and he's punished with leprosy. This is in other parts of the Old Testament. This King Uzziah, he, he, gets a, he has this disease, this skin disease called leprosy, and as a result, he has to leave his throne. He leaves power. In the last decades of his life, he wasn't ruling from his throne. In fact, he was sent away. He was separated because of his leprosy, so he went to live by himself in isolation. Everyone's concerned. They didn't want to get leprosy. So think about the image of this king for a minute. He's doubly distant. The king is doubly distant. First, He's distant from the people because he's a king. Everyday life, people can't get close to a king, right? They don't see the king. They don't know the king. He's distant. But then secondly, he's also distant from the people because of this disease. He's set apart because of his uh, leprosy. So people can't go near him, and he can't come near to them. And then Isaiah has this vision of being inside the throne room with the king. It's not King Uzziah, it's a different king. It's the Lord God, who's high and lofty, whose robes spread out and fill the earth and all his glory, and everyone's singing praises. It's this heavenly vision. So we can imagine, we are trying to imagine this, but we only know human rulers, right? That's just our, we're, we're human. We only know that experience. And usually, um, human rulers will keep themselves safe at a distance, you know, cut off kind of from the people, like this king, doubly distant. We could imagine that God, who's seen as a king on a throne, that God is like that. That might be our image. That might be our picture because we're humans. We only know fallible human leaders. They're not perfect. But here in this scene, we see something different. This biblical image, we're just kind of imagining it. Here's this mighty and powerful and wonderful and holy God, somebody different from the ones that we have known. This is the God who comes to us in Jesus Christ. So God does not stay transcendent and holy other far off on the throne, but God comes close to us and is imminent, is known, is personal in the person of Jesus. So I don't want to freak you out, but getting to know this God who comes close is what we do on Sunday mornings. That's actually what we do. That's what we're doing right now. We, we, we seek to come into God's very presence to worship God, to learn about God, to know God and be known by God. So this transcendent God who is worthy of all honor and praise and glory is the same one who is known to us in Jesus Christ, the one who comes to us, calls us by name, loves us, and forgives us. 
This is, this is one of the central paradoxes of our faith, that we have a God who is a ruler with authority and power in our lives, but this God does not stay distant. They, this God chooses to let us in to come close to heal us. You know, there's a woman in our church um, who is writing a personal memoir right now. This is a long-term writing project she has. It's about her experience coming to the United States as a refugee. And she's writing a book, a kind of a personal memoir story. And it's, 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 in it, she's writing about the struggle she had to grow up different in America and what that meant for her. And I'm always amazed by like creative and artistic people because they can take something that's like so big and so far away like in the distance, like uh, U.S. foreign policy and immigration patterns and the status of refugees and the education system, and they take all these really big topics, and then a skilled writer will take those big themes and make them small and make them personal and will make them something we can relate to or catch hold of or listen to or receive or understand a little bit more. So through her own life story, this, this woman writing this memoir, she's helping readers to see a bigger picture. She's choosing to reveal herself, even though she doesn't have to. Nobody said, you have to go and write this book. When it comes out, anybody who wants to can go get a hold of this book, can open it up and can read all about her life. She is revealing herself through these pages. There's a way in which God does this same thing. God reveals God's self to us. And always done so in a form that we can receive. So let me just drill down on this a little bit. I was thinking about, like, what's my main um, point in this sermon? It's like six different sermons put together and all mixed in a big pot, and we see what we get. Um, maybe there's three purposes I have, just purposes, not points, but purposes. Okay, my goals. First is to show you that Isaiah 6 is a pattern for Christian worship. Put that in your brain. I went to Princeton Seminary. I arrived. Everyone's talking about Isaiah chapter 6, clearly the pattern for Christian worship. I never heard that before. Or maybe I did, but I forgot. So for you, Isaiah 6, just a, here's a little Old Testament knowledge for you. Um, this is a pattern for our worship. And we see it laid out. We come into God's presence. God is holy. We recognize our own unholiness. Ah, we receive the forgiveness that God gives. We're set free to hear God's word and, and live. That's the pattern of worship from Isaiah 6. That's the first point. Then the second one is, and this is not going to be surprising to you as your pastor, is to tell you, that just like Isaiah, the prophet in the Old Testament, has access to God through this, uh, in this experience, we also have access to God in the inmost throne room. And it's on Sunday morning. It's in the regular practice of worship, which is what we seek to do together. And so I just want to talk to you and say, as your pastor, uh, as your preacher, it's good for your soul. It's good for your life. Every week there is something that's here that is meant to encourage you or equip you or inspire you or teach you or say something to you that you couldn't hear just anywhere else. God is here present, ready to speak, and we come as worshipers seeking to receive that good thing that God has. And so then my third purpose is, um, along with uh, telling you Isaiah 6 is this worship pattern and encouraging you to be uh, coming to worship regularly as part of your practice of being with God. The third one is uh, just to show you the paradoxical nature of the identity of God, transcendent and holy, but also imminent and close. If you like big words and concepts, this is the day for you. 
transcendence and imminence. But if you don't like big words and concepts and you're kind of confused, that's okay too because the God of the universe who is so big is made small, personable, knowable in the person of Jesus Christ. And so God cuts through all of, these, um, dis- all of this distance and comes to us and is known to us. I have a few questions that I wrote down today, things that I just want to close with about the nature of worship and your experience of it. I don't want, you don't have to email me this, but I'm just telling you and giving you some questions that you might want to ask as you think about worship, as you understand it as a Christian pattern, as you understand it's good for your soul, and as you understand that it reveals who God is. There's some questions for you to consider today. What part of worship is most meaningful or speaks to you? What part of worship is most enjoyable on a Sunday morning? What part of worship do you struggle with or you don't really like? How do you actively participate? And then where do you, are you receiving something? What part of worship are you called to actively participate? And then where are you just asked to receive? What do you wish there was more of? What do you wish there was less of? Do you need to be your best self in worship? Or can you come as you are? If worship is a holy time and set apart, what is the purpose of that holy time that is set apart? How does worship limit us and discipline us? How does worship release us and set us free? Why do we come to worship on a Sunday? And maybe one more, what's the nugget or takeaway that you are discovering or receiving in worship today? King Uzziah in the Bible was a doubly distant king, unknowable because of his role, but also his leprosy. You could never get close, but King Jesus is different. He is knowable because he chooses to reveal himself. God chooses to come to us and has done that week by week, day by day, moment by moment. God chooses to be our God, and God does not choose to be God apart from being for us. This is good news for us as we receive it again today. May it be so for you. Amen. Thank you.